Greetings everyone from across the cybersphere, the cyberspace, this strange connect, disconnect <laughs> motif. Mm. Yeah, so today, well, they've asked me to reflect a little on these afflictive, what are called afflictive emotions. And the list that we have is, uh, was it anger, rage, hatred, and grief. But actually, um, I'd like to moderate that a little because what I see are different kinds of experiences that people have and what he called these primary reflex experiences which are anger or rage, which is an empowering experience when you power up, your system powers up as a response to either threat or frustration. I want to go there and I can't. You know, so it's a power, something in you powers up. And there's a, a experience called grief, which is like a sense of your structures have broken down, your orientation is gone, that which, which you were held by has collapsed. You know, there's a, your system sinks you know, and seeks something to be held by. And another one of these reflexes that isn't mentioned was actually very primary is fear, you know, which is something that makes you extremely alert. Everything lights up to be extremely attentive. And this occurs whenever there's a threat to security, you know, personal security, emotional security, you know, a threat. So security is similar. It's not quite the same as 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 anger, we know what those experiences are, but it's that potential. And hatred is actually something rather different, which is more, I'd say, secondary. Because these primary reflexes would be shared by uh, most creatures in the animal kingdom, if we're including a beetle, um, you know, a, a leopard, a cow, they would experience those primary reflexes. They're embodied. You know, they're there for a particular purpose. And these are reflexes that occur through the autonomous nervous system. The safe, sympathetic environment that is, should be your normal abiding place, where thing you're just kind of purring along, is under threat or is being taken away or could be taken away. Therefore, get lively, get activated, you know, do something. It's that flash, and then, you know, there's a flash, and then action can occur. And then, when the action has succeeded, <laughs> yeah, then, okay, it's gone. Triggering's gone, switch off, we're back to the safe, sympathetic environment, things, life's okay, purr along till the next signal rushes in. Hmm? So this is very fundamental embodied reflex that we should all we should all be endowed with. It's part of nature. Yeah. And so why does it do this? Well it's a signal to our to ourselves or to our embodied mind, saying, hey, wake up. You know, action is needed. So it's a signal to our chitta, our embodied heart. We can rationalise it, but it's a fundamental emotive reflex, right? It kicks in, so wake that thing up, look around, 
get active, so it's a, it's a trigger to the, the embodied mind, the citta. And uh, so then a response is re- required. And the response would be, okay, there's threat, I power up, the threat moves away. Okay, relax. Something like that, yeah? Or I power up, the threat also powers up, we look each other in the eye and we think, okay, let's talk this over. <laughs> you know, we've got to negotiate. Basically, we have to come into connection. You know, we're either going to physically fight, you know, or verbally fight, or we're going to sit down and negotiate. We're going to re-establish connection so that when the connection is re-established, okay, right, resolve that back to the safe, sympathetic environment, right? <laughs> the response has been made, a response has happened, things are okay. Grief, I'm collapsing, my security, that which I was oriented by has collapsed. I need to huddle. So the signal is something in me wants to go small and huddle. Maybe if there's other beings around who could stand around and comfort me, you know, that would that's the signal to them. This is not a time when I'm going to be out doing lots of stuff and having fun. Right? So it's a signal to others. So re-establish the safe, sympathetic environment because I'm feeling very disoriented. That's grief. Fear, insecurity. Uh, so look around and find something steady to hold on to. It could be another person. It could be God. It could be my embodiment. So these are primary reflexes, which we should honour. Because every one of them, the idea is it takes us back to our secure, sympathetic, safe environment. Mm. Now, if this doesn't occur, if it's disconnect, we don't get back to that for some reason or other, what happens is all the energy that's been powered up doesn't get resolved. Therefore, it kind of, it's sort of slushing around. And it starts to freeze into hatred. Since I can't discharge, you know, the rage, it sort of sits there in a cold, latent form. Hatred. Hatred's a strong word. It can be um, hostility, don't bother me, get away, I don't want to be with you, scorn. I don't want to maintain connection. I'm disconnecting. Since I can't, connect and get the discharge of that energy, I will then choose a disconnect that is marked with the sign of ill will. Now, by and large, other animals don't do that. I don't think deer hate wolves. They fear them, but they don't carry around, they don't have, you know, how are we going to deal with wolves campaigns. (laughs) They don't hate them. Yeah because the system just discharges the threat and back again. Yeah. But something in us can lose connection to our own discharge system. Now, as I said, you can discharge either through it as a sympathetic other 
we maintain the relationship, okay, here we are, right, I've heard you, okay, sorry about that, fine, you know, sympathy is aroused, therefore, end of that issue, energy can just settle down. Or, this is meditation, internally, one receives that experience, one goes to full embodied presence, full embodied presence, feeling through the entire autonomous nervous system, which covers the entire body like a sheet, from the crown of your head, over your chest, your back, your belly, your fingers, your palms of your hands, your legs, down to the soles of your feet. Feel the whole thing from the inside and you can feel it heating or crackling or turgid or struggling or knotting under the pressure of those powerful surges of whatever it is, anger, fear, grief. Feel it. And as you feel it, you go into the full embodied presence which acts as your personal, most intimate environment of safe sympathy. It's sympathy that's got no other messages other than I am here. I do not close down. I do not disconnect. This is non-conceptual intelligence, embodied intelligence. So that, we return to that, feel the surge, the feeling, the contractions that these powerful energies rush, pour through us. Being aware of those, extending awareness to the entire web of our nervous system, right down to the soles of the feet and the ground beneath and the space around, opening the body into that full, intimate environment. Breathing in, breathing out. Letting the energies move through. And of course, if you're doing this in meditation, basic theme is, yeah, you can have thoughts. Yes, you have the stories. Yes, you have the tribunals of, they shouldn't, and I always, and they never, and what am I going to do about this? Yes, but right now, your job is to return to pure presence. Because although those energies are completely accurate as reflexes about what you're feeling and authentic, they're not actually that accurate about what's going on around you. Right? That snake is actually a rope, right? Your fear is totally authentic, but that was a rope. That gesture that person made actually wasn't a threat. They were just scratching their head, right? You know, so just go soft on the interpretations. The energy is authentic. The perceptions of threat, uh, loss, and so forth are... mm, conditioned.
subject to distortion, subject to socialization, subject to how we've been informed. And this is a big topic. So returning to primary presence, safe, sympathetic, intimate environment, directly felt as such, not somebody tells you it's safe, you feel it. And you you know you don't feel it until you feel it. You stay there waiting for your body to tell you we're back. And you rely upon that. Otherwise, these things don't complete, are not discharged, and we're left with these residues. Anger turns to hatred, uh, prejudice, um, scorn, uh, grudge, resentment, jealousy, right? Nasty stuff. Hmm? And it sours us, it cripples us, it cripples the heart. Grief turns to despond, impotence. There's no hope for me. Can't establish a secure orientation. It's lost, broken-hearted. People die of it. That. And uh, fear tends to anxiety, constantly never able to settle because insecurity. So what we do, we seek something to hold on to whether it's any old thing, could be alcohol, could be compulsive eating, it could be compulsive gaming, gam- anything compulsive <laughs> fills the gap. Because it's compulsive, it easily sticks, so we get security and then we get addicted. So these things, <laughs> energies, if they're not resolved, can lead to some pretty miserable uh, results. Right? The inability to return to a sympathetic, safe environment, intimate environment. And, uh, you know, the the crucial thing I'd suggest about meditative or spiritual or whatever you want to call it, dhammic practice, is you are encouraged to cultivate that environment intimately and clearly and progressively and earnestly as you are encouraged to take refuge and not just as a concept, as an idea, but to really feel it because the message is this is the best one you can get. The rest of it is subject to you know, becoming unsafe, insecure, lost. So cultivate this. And so this can be, obviously I've given some very simple meditation instruction there, you know, just sit, stand, walk, in total embodied presence, connecting to the entire body, soles of the feet, the back, the spine, and, you know, opening out as if you've got a sheet covering you and you're just opening that sheet. Because you do, called fascia tissue. You do have a sheet of nervous tissue that's signalling all the time. And that, in terms of real life scenarios, that sheet 
has got some, definitely got some distortions and damage built into it through unrelieved anger, uh, fear, uh, grief. So because that hasn't been resolved, that net, that web is, is either torn or a bit crumpled or we've basically disengaged and we're somewhere out in our heads somewhere, you know, in our addictions, out in our distractions, out in our theories, out in our whatever it is, you know, righteousness, blaming everybody else for it with some justification. But does it do you, does it relieve you, does it bring you back? So we can say, yeah, this stuff, these primary emotions are powerful and uh, we don't want them to stay. We, we like them to, you know, they're there, but we like them to certainly, you know, move on. We don't want to be constantly heated and all that kind of stuff. Um, so now what do you do? So one thing is you either, if, you're not, if you can't do the discharge, you suppress Right? Or you cut off, you dissociate. Or if you can't do the discharge, you suppress, you dissociate. And you, you basically shut down. And then you shut down a bit of your sensitivity shuts down with that. And this, of course, is, you can see, it's not, it's, it's damaging. It's damaging to you. It's also, it's actually neurologically damaging. Now, if you live in a situation, say you're a minority, you know, see here we get social issues come in. Minorities, impoverished people, you know, racist stuff like this that suppresses or turns scorn, deprivation towards members of society so they're met with this wall of cool, calm, ill will, <laughs> right? That's got no name on it. It's just anonymous sense of you don't belong, you are disconnected, you are other, you are lesser, right? You're getting that. And that, that disconnect mm, is the removal from the safe, sympathetic environment. That is the fundamental trigger for everything else. If I'm removed from the safe, sympathetic environment, I'm liable to feel insecure. I'm liable to get compulsive. I'm liable to get addictive. I'm also liable to be reactive and raging yeah, and, and despairing. I'm liable the whole lot is ramped up. Now, if any of those reactions are then further discouraged and suppressed, they don't go away. They just sink into the nervous system so you, you numb people out into, you know, and it's actually, those, those neurochemicals are still swilling around and it actually has a corrosive effect on the sensitivity of the nervous system, let alone what it does to the psychologies in the heart. Mm -hmm. right. So sure, suppression, not good. And when we, you know, begin to review this topic, um, it's very normal, isn't it? Suppression, disconnection. You know, you know little kid, you're three years old, you scream, shut up go to your room, or whatever it is, disconnect, you're disconnected from, right? Your bad behaviour, disconnected, exiled, ostracised. You're not getting this, I'm removing love from you. Love is now not a natural 
sense of connectivity, which is actually the deep meaning of it, love, the deep meaning of it, isn't romance and it's not excitement and it's not happy. (laughs) It's the sense of safe, sympathetic environment that you dwell in. Yeah? Now, you're getting angry. Me withdrawing the safe, sympathetic environment isn't going to cure it because what's needed is a safe, sympathetic environment for that anger to express itself, be heard, and then discharge. If I withdraw that, say, shut up, or give you, a, give you a slap, or blame you, or punish you, no safe, sympathetic environment has been removed, there comes that, that cold cut-off. And so, you know, then what do we do? What happens? Well, you know, if you're, if you're five years old, you know, and you've got abusive parents, you, you haven't got anywhere else to go, you've got to live with them, you haven't got anybody else, so you, you basically shut up and shut down to deal with it. And, uh, and you tolerate abuse, right? And people do, and it's, it's, it's shocking the extent to which this happens. And of course, you know, um, grief, pull yourself together, snap out of it, be cheerful. Shame is another disconnect. You're no longer part of the happy tribe of, you know, positive thinkers and so forth, and we're all fine. You're useless because grief is not very good for productivity. We don't want people moping around. We want people to get out there and spend and buy and do stuff and get on. So no time for that. So that's also shut down. Insecurity, you're pathetic, feeble, uh, neurotic stop it. So these often meet the suppression either directly or socially or the message is a really good person is not fearful, is not sad, is not angry. The social message is they're cheerful, positive, clear thinking, you know, (laughs) mythology. (laughs) So there's a kind of uh, like a cultural suppression as well as a as a social suppression, a familial suppression, and even a, um, you know, within a society, the suppression of those who, who are disempowered, therefore feel a bit more irritable, and therefore get more suppressed, until they live in a state of shutdown, fear and resentment, disempowerment. Now the other extreme, of course, so this is pretty grim, is so if you act upon it, you act upon anger, start beating people up, or raging, that's not so good either. Uh, you know, so, say, so, well, what's the middle of that? The middle of that is to receive the signal. And as a contemplative, as a meditator, as someone who's done a practice, you, you want to have that safe, sympathetic environment right here where you're feeling it, where you're feeling the threat. And that's going to be in your embodied system, isn't it? Hmm? To feel it right here. And listen to it right here. As it is. And maybe just put the stories and the histories and the personalities to one side to just feel the energy. And say, hey, this anger is taking me back to Strength. It's not such a bad thing. 
It's something that has to be managed, but it's taking back to strength, to stand my ground, to stand on my feet, to say no. This is inappropriate. And we see managed, moderated anger has been one of the primary sources of social welfare throughout history. It was the revolution, wasn't it? Now, they weren't always that skillful, but we say that to an extent, moderated anger has a part to play, a valid part to play in the readjustment of our norms. We say, no, this is not, I don't stand for this. This is not acceptable. That's coming from presence rather than from just flailing out. So there's no hatred in that. It's void of hatred. And you think, where would we be if it wasn't for the people who stood up and protested? Where would women's rights be? Where would the vote be? Where would, where would climate change be? If there's less the people to, to think about it, if it wasn't for people getting out on the streets and um, demonstrating. Yeah. And by and large, it seems that it's quite mature. People now understand this has to be conducted. The anger is there. The hatred isn't. And uh, immoderate. And so it's definitely it's a part to play. And internally it's a part to play also. So we are regaining, taking back our strength, our primary strength. And that primary strength is an aspect of this (laughs) safe, sympathetic environment. It's not just safe and sympathetic, it's also strong. Life is strong. It's colourful, it's florid, it's, it's multifaceted, it's beautiful, it's awesome, but primarily life is strong. That's how it keeps going through the everything else, yeah? through all the breakage and the chaos, because it is strong. And we want to be life and take life <laughs> not as just getting a living, but life as our, our heritage. We're living beings. We're not half alive, we're fully alive. And someone who can't find their strength is not yet fully alive. Similarly with uh, grief. I remember seeing a, <laughs> a, a sticker on a fender few years back, a few presidents back, most presidents of America get angry with sooner or later. <laughs> when you look at politics, it doesn't take you long to get angry. <laughs> doesn't matter what party they are. Just <laughs> and a sticker said on the fender said, uh, if you're not angry, you're not paying attention. <laughs> Yeah, that's right. I think it's also 
important to say if you're not experiencing grief, you're not paying attention. You know? When you look at the loss, the damage to that is more than just, you know, the average you know, aging sickness, death, the starvation, the deprivation, the brutalization, you know, the injustice, the unprincipled destruction of the environment, the selling of our future, and the, if you don't feel angry about that, and if you don't feel grief for all that's been lost that will never come back, you don't think you're, I think you're disconnected. And I don't blame you. It's difficult to take it. I think grief is a totally understandable and necessary, part of the necessary response that must occur. We weep. There's nothing shameful about that. I remember just a few months back, uh, as is, I'm sad to say, becoming normal. Woman got murdered on the street in London. They say some like three women a week get murdered in Britain. They weren't doing anything, just walking around. So she gets murdered. I mean, horribly so. And a bunch of other women, a whole bunch of them just say, look, we're just so, we just want to meet and be together. And it's just they gather together in a park in London just to sit there and put flowers and share the grief, you know. Why? What's the point of that? You don't understand. <laughs> you, know, you don't understand. You're so disconnected. You don't see that, that we need to grieve communally. We to re-establish the sympathetic environment. Some things you just can't shrug off anymore. You have to return to the sympathetic environment. And if that means 150 of you get together and sit in silence, feeling that, and see each other, and put light a candle, and put some flowers down, and feel the sorrow, that's totally valid. But what happened was, police moved in. This is a dangerous meeting, this is a COVID crisis, started shoving people around, throwing women around. Utterly horrific, you know. Nobody got killed or harmed, but just the the response, you know, to a communal act like that of gathering. The state gets nervous and frightened. People are suddenly being genuine. They're starting to connect. We don't want that to happen. We don't want too much connection to happen. We want to keep people nicely in their little boxes running around going through trains and buses and cars rushing off to offices, that's safe because they're not connected. Once they connect, you know, 
it's a bit too lively, it's a bit too real. <laughs> you know. And unfortunately, this is part of the nature of what states are about. I mean, some are worse than others. But it, it's about suppressing or cutting off or, okay, you can grieve at a particular public ceremony at this date within this... No, no. No, it doesn't happen like that. I don't go to some public... I grieve when I grieve. <laughs> I don't have some kind of ceremony for doing it. I do it when I do it. Yeah. And there's something... The authenticity of that. And I think part of what we do. Yeah, you know, doesn't mean you get, you know, you just got to return to that and find where is the safe, sympathetic environment. Now, some people call it God. That's what works for you. How do you want to call it that? Um, but it's been a human need and it's still there. Mm, I have other terms for it. I have other ways of accessing that. Uh, so that in that I feel a sense of compassion arises. If I fully allow the grief, then instead of just feeling broken up and a mess, it bottoms out in compassion and equanimity. This is where we're in. This is what we're in. And the, the sense of compassion. Compassion is when... Um, we don't have a strategy to fix things, but we feel it. We feel the pain and we haven't got a strategy. We open to it. That's our strategy to open to it and feel it. And we allow ourselves to be that which discharges the, the flood of that. And it makes us humble, it makes us receptive, it makes us compassionate. Anger makes you strong. Grief makes you compassionate. Fear. Hmm? Didn't the Buddha say, all compounded things are impermanent? Aging, sickness, death. All is my beloved and pleasing will be taken away from me, will become separated from me. Nothing to hold on to. Didn't he say this? Was it just to make us scared stiff and neurotic and compulsive? No, no, it's to make you alert and respond to finding that refuge. And that refuge is not found through uh, a compulsive action of some kind, like a compulsive soother of some kind, a compulsive medication, a compulsive distraction, a compulsive something you can cling on to compulsively. No, it's found through measured attention measured attention to presence, that which can be present in the face of change. And again, this is one of, this is all very primary practice, maybe the wording's different. And then what this does is it makes you dispassionate and alert. You don't expect, you don't guarantee, you don't think things for granted, it makes you grateful, respectful and alert. Because you know this moment's what you have. The rest of it, we don't know. But what we do know 
is that the nature of where our heart and mind is, is heading at that moment is going to determine where we're going to go. If I start moving forward in fear, that's where I'm going to go. When I move forward with alertness, attentiveness, humility and respect, that's where I'm going to go. And the world, my intimate world, is then subject to my responses. And this is the way we use these very primary emotions as guides and teachers. Now, I think it should be no surprise to say that this safe, sympathetic environment, you know, it's not, it's not the mainstream, is it? You know, I mean, the mainstream environment, I expect from most of you, is pretty disconnected. It may not be actually hostile, but it's disconnected. You, you're in some metal box going on a highway and there's other metal boxes and so what, you know? You move past people in a street, in an elevator, hi Joe, you move on. Connectivity, minimal. And also there's embedded disconnectivity which comes through um, social pressures, uh, inability to experience safety and security, inability to experience... anger and discharge it, to be seen in one's anger and not rejected, Hmm. to be seen in one's fear and not dismissed, to be seen in one's grief and not despised. Hmm. And the more that happens externally, we can build up that, that fundamental, safe, secure environment. And... Of course, the encouragement is to do this internally when it's happening, when you're sitting, when you're doing what you call your meditation practice. Now, by and large, that process is not that common in the social sphere. So, we live in a sphere where there's a lot of potency for hatred, jealousy, resentment, you know, insecurity, compulsive behaviours, uh, depression, despair, anxiety, Right? Do you need any more evidence? Hmm? You're getting it through the media too. And you're getting all the antidotes, so-called distract, 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 social media, quiz game, entertainment, songs, everything, just distract, distract, distract. Hmm? So, yeah, all that you want to say, no, to not see that as your true environment. That's not the environment that's going to take you to your true, safe, sympathetic environment. This has to be done through <laughs> through processing and liberating some of the, the fundamental insecurities that we may have experienced through not being able to, to discharge. A fundamental ill will towards ourselves, self-criticism, very common, Hatred, self-hatred, because we haven't been able to discharge the anger and we're not allowed to send it out. So we dump it in ourselves. <laughs> you know? right. So we disconnect from ourselves, from our own hearts. So you, this is where you've got to start bringing it back. And 
the results are not just you feel it better, but actually they will take you to something that you probably didn't really know fully. The power, the beauty, the love of pure presence. This is unconditioned by events or circumstances. It's the fundamental nature of chitta. And these cultivations will take you there. So when we experience, you know, that which threatens us or frustrates us, first thing is you've got to receive the trigger. You know, the triggering. And just pausing, hovering. Manage, manage the perception. So the more you can have that sense of something present that you can return to, from there you begin to check the perception. Is this really threatening? And what's it threatening? You know, we can feel threatened by, I don't know, kind of quite small things. Loss of um, losing an argument, you know, loss of dignity because I've lost an argument. No, no, no. There's no loss of dignity, it's just, you know. So what's the threat? What's it threatening? Is there a threat? Or are you holding to something that you didn't hold on to at all? Therefore, there's no threat. It goes, it doesn't matter. You know, you can say what you like about my hair because I haven't got any. <laughs> I don't feel threatened by it. Or you could play about my hairstyle because <laughs> I, I don't have any hair. <laughs> so, you know, maybe you just, maybe, you know, you're, you're getting angry at me, but actually you haven't got the right message. Uh, so I'm maybe managing is check the threat. Return to presence always. Manage the perception. Moderate the reaction. Moderate the reaction. So you check what comes in. You manage it. Check it. You moderate how you respond to it. And you should always respond in a way which doesn't make you lose your presence. So you don't blow out. Your moderation should be that which tries to find the connection. Now we see examples of, you know, the Buddha saying things like he's pretty close to anger to me. People say he wasn't angry, but some pretty, if you look in some of the books which discuss the Buddha's training and some monk kind of makes, blows it big time, some sexual shenanigans, and the Buddha hears about it and says, first of all, is it true, venerable? Is it true, as they say, that you did this? First of all, the question, is it true? So, you know, it's clearly a, you know, there's a powering up there. <laughs> He's taking a stand, is it true? First thing you ask the question, is it true? And the guy goes, um, yeah, well, it, yes, it is true. And then, and then, misguided man, have I not told you? How could you? You know, it's very much, how could you have gone forth in faith? How could you live on the faith of laity? How could you, when I've told you this about the nature of sense pleasures, how could you, when people have trusted you, how could you, foolish, misguided man, have done this? This will lead to your considerable harm and destruction in this life and the next. You know, hatred? I don't think so. 
just telling you firmly, strongly, and asking you to you return to your presence and check yourself out. And as a very firm verbal gesture to push you back to your presence, you, this is going to lead to your harm. That's compassion. So a response, it's not revenge. That's not appropriate. It's not moralizing. You are this, you are that, you're always this. You know. But actually, the, the angry compassion, that which shakes you back to your presence and asks you to stand and look at yourself. And you go. And then you say, it is a blessing to be admonished in such a way because it returns you to your presence. And the Buddha says, in this training, it's death to not receive that kind of correction. So this, this is compassionate, moderated, non-destructive, shaking you back to presence. So moderate the response. Questioning is a good way to moderate response. Ask the person. Ask yourself when you're getting angry yourself. Returns you, clears your focus, gets back to pure presence. Last, most important thing to constantly cultivate, nourish, nourish pure presence. Nourish it. You nourish it by returning to it. You nourish it by remembering it. You're nourishing it by not diminishing it. Saying, you are capable of receiving your despair. You are capable of receiving your your fear. Not you as a person, but your presence is capable of that. And you nourish it. You nourish it. You meditate on it. You... uh, Use that as the witness or the mediator or the guide of what's occurring in your body and mind. Pure, steady, clear presence. And if it's not steady and clear, a bit steadier and clearer than it was last year because I've managed to clear out some of the obstructions slowly, slowly. It's getting a little steadier and clearer. But the more I use it, The more I return to it, the steadier it's going to get. If I don't use it, it won't get steadier and clearer. So we should never be ashamed or reluctant to bear pure presence in mind when you're you're meeting afflictive emotions. This is where, in fact, the energy can transmute into strengthening and broadening the power of that pure presence. And this, of course, is what love is about, when that can extend. And with that, you know, isn't this eventually the, the, the only healing that's possible in this threatened, frightened, destructive time? Well, I think I've um, used up the time. 
that was offered to me for this occasion. And uh, thank you for offering the time. And I hope um, it's been a benefit to some of you anyway. (laughs) Uh, And uh, I hope this whole event uh, presents many facets for your ongoing consideration and reflection.